may be seated. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. Today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 34. It's a large section. We're continuing on, as you know, in the, in the book of 1 Kings. Oh, I am not on. There we go. And continuing this, this story about this prophet who was sent from Judah to Jeroboam, the new king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes there, who had wickedly turned away from the worship of the Lord and created this apostate and idolatrous worship, setting up golden images in the way that Aaron created a calf wrongly when the people of Israel said, make us images of, of God. And he uh, said, this is an image in essence of the God who delivered you out of, uh, of Egypt, the very God who was at that moment when Aaron spoke those words, he was on Mount Sinai uh, there in cloud and fire and thunder. Uh, he, he sought to represent with a, a mere image made by men's hands. We can't do that. We shouldn't do that. And yet Jeroboam did that, Dan and Bethel. And now he is going to be rebuked. And uh, the nation is going to be warned what will happen. Uh, but we're going to see also a, a story that's kind of curious but before we come to the word of God, let us go to the God who gave us this word and let's ask for his blessing. Please join me. Sovereign Lord, as we read your word today, we pray that our eyes would be opened. I pray, Lord, that you would use me as your messenger. I pray, Lord, I would become transparent. Oh, Lord, and it would be Christ's words that are delivered to your congregation. I do pray, Lord, I know you can use even a very weak vessel vessels made of clay to do your work and Lord I pray uh, as a man with feet of clay that you would do that you would use me this day to divide your word aright help me to get this right it is a, uh, <laughs> a curious part of scripture and uh, I pray Lord that we would nevertheless learn important lessons for our own time from it help us to hear we know Lord when the word is being preached that the devil comes in and is ever at our shoulder he says go to sleep he says, concentrate on this triviality. He stirs up our minds. He gives us grudges. He makes us censorious. He causes us to, to judge what we're hearing in the wrong way. He'll do anything he can to distract us, we know, because he doesn't want us to profit. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would thwart him. Help us to fix our attention now on the words of life. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 13 and verses 13 through 34, uh, 11, sorry, through 34. To remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? Uh, for his sons had seen which way the man of God who came from Judah uh, went, who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it and went after them, uh, after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord. You shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. 
He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a moment when you're reading scripture and you read something and then you have kind of a, wait, what moment? You, you begin to ponder what you've just read and you know what you've read. You, you understand its meaning, but you, you just can't figure out why it happened the way it did. Why would it unfold that way? I, I, I say that because I can still remember the first time I read this particular section in 1 Kings. I can remember what I was thinking. I was thinking, that doesn't seem fair. It, it really doesn't. Why did the prophet from Bethel lie to the man of God from Judah? If the first time he lied also, why then does the Lord speak through him the second time? And so on. I had all of these questions. Well, uh, since that time, and that was many, many years ago, I, I've had a lot of time to think about what happened here, and I've had time to consider its meaning, ponder what we should take away from it. Uh, and I will go ahead and share with you the result of that thinking, but here it is my duty uh, as a messenger of God to warn you. There are places in the scripture where the meaning is very clear. You can read it and immediately you can say, yes, I understand exactly what it is God is trying to tell me. The main things in scripture are the plain things. 
But there are other sections of scripture that are not quite as clear, where it's a little murkier, we might say. But you have the aid of other scriptures, other books. So, for instance, there's a lot of places in 1 Kings where we see an event recorded, and then we can actually get more information from 1 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles, actually, about the events that took place in these books. So that helps us to understand what's going on. Scripture interprets scripture. The analogy of scripture helps us to understand. But there are also places in the scriptures where an event takes place. It's only recorded in that place. And you have to do some deductive reasoning. You have to come to plausible conclusions in keeping with the general teaching of scripture and the flow of redemptive history where you know it's going. We have the great asset of being uh, gifted with the New Testament so we can look back through its lens and better understand Old Testament. But you're not as absolutely certain as you are in other places. This is one of those places where you have to do some deductive reasoning and then say, I think that's what it means. Now, When these verses begin, let's set the context, the the prophet from Judah had done exceedingly well, hadn't he? I mean, here we have this man who goes up from the the southern kingdom, which is now the hated kingdom, the, the oppressors that they just threw off. He goes boldly up to the northern kingdom, not just to the northern kingdom, but to the place where they're consecrating their new idolatrous place of worship. He goes up to, to Bethel Church, and there he, he stands before the king and all of the people of the northern kingdom, all of these, these vile, uh, you know, wrong idolatrous priests, and he condemns their practice. He does so boldly. That is not easy. I have done street preaching in my life. It is an intimidating experience. This would be several factors more intimidating than that, declaring to an entire nation and to its leader and to its military that these things are wrong. But he delivers the Lord's condemning prophecy And he gave then Jeroboam these two signs to show that the words, to authenticate his message, to show that what he was saying was true. The altar split open, the ashes and the coals pour out. And then the king's hand, which was extended to condemn him, is suddenly withered. And the king can't draw it back until it is restored. And then he had obeyed, had he not, the king's commandment, or that is God's commandment, not to eat and drink. In the northern kingdom, not to fellowship with these people who were acting so wickedly. He was not even supposed to return by the same path and he obeyed that. The king tried to entice him. He says no. Now, if we had simply read at that point and he went back to Judah and he ministered faithfully and died many years later and was buried with his fathers, we would say, there it is. That's how it should be. A faithful man of God does his job, obeys his commandments, resists the world and all of its temptations, relies on the Lord, and he is blessed. We wouldn't have any problems. But that's not what we see. He resists temptation, but then he is tempted again immediately. And he's tempted after the preaching of the Lord. Something that, I mean, in his human nature, he might have been proud of himself. I have to tell you, one of the worst moments in any preacher's life is after he has done really well at a conference, especially when there's a lot of people. Oh, my word, you are so puffed up. 
No, you're like a cockerel at that point in time. Did I do well? Did I do well? You know, the, and that's the point at which the devil can really work on you. Oh, yes, you did well. Man, you are the answer to all of Christianity's problems. You go on thinking that. Heaven help you if you listen at that point in time. But in any event, what you don't expect is to be immediately tempted after this, you know, mountaintop experience. But that's exactly what happens to him. But you see, brothers and sisters, that's the reality of the believer's life in the fallen world. Do you understand that? It's all spiritual warfare every day till glory. I, I sometimes think that Christians don't understand when we say spiritual warfare, we're talking about a war, not spiritual battle, not a one-time event, then it's over. I mean, our, our soldiers understand this. If they go to a war zone, it's not like, okay, nighttime, everybody, go to bed. No more shelling, no more rockets, no more bullets. See you tomorrow. Or we won this time. You are all dead. Go away. You know, that's, and it's all over. They understand that you know, warfare is a, is a grinding, constant process. It's not one battle and you're done. It's battle after battle after battle. And it means, brothers and sisters, that we always have to be depending on God. We have to be constantly watching and praying, especially when we're feeling exalted, lifted up, and on a pedestal at that point, humbling ourselves. And above all, as Jesus said, watch and pray, be on your guard. For all the temptations that are going to come at you at that moment. For the Christian, it's not one and done. We're not one temptation and then we're over. Now, what happens? What is up? Let me put it that way with this old prophet of Bethel. Why is he so eager to catch the man of God from Judah? There's sometimes your childhood shapes in some ways the way you read scripture. And I, my head, and it's wrong, I know, I'm sorry. It always goes back to Bugs Bunny. Which way did he go? Which way did he go? You know, uh, the, to the old prophet, to his sons. Which way did he go, sons? Got to catch him. Um, and I resisted the temptation to either do that voice or Joel Osteen's voice while I was reading the old man, uh, the old prophet. But uh, the man of God from Judah is leaving the northern kingdom, and this, this old prophet wants to catch him. We don't know for certain what his motives are, but there are certain things that we can glean from the text about him. First, he is old enough that his ministry would extend back to the time of Solomon. So this was a prophet who knew right worship. He knew the way that it had been conducted. He knew the way that it was supposed to be conducted. Second, we do know also, Chronicles tells us, that most of the people in the northern kingdom who were zealous for right worship went south to worship at the temple. They continued on in the way of God's established worship. And they did that despite the political danger. We don't see the old prophet doing that, the prophet from Bethel here. Moreover, the old prophet's sons were at Bethel for the worship service. And it's unlikely they were standing there with signs, this is wrong. It's more likely that they, like the rest of the northern kingdom, were taking place with it. Now, were his sons worshipers? Were they priests like the, so many of the different people from the different tribes who were there? We, we don't know. 
We don't know, but we do know that they saw the whole exchange and they went back to their father immediately and they reported what this prophet from Judah, this man of God, had said. And based upon the information that was given to him, the prophet from Bethel constructs a lie. He says that an angel of God had said to him to go and get him and bring him back and eat with him. And we know that is exactly what the prophet, the man of God from Judah, was told, don't do by the Lord. He goes and he tells him a deliberate lie. This is a wicked lie. And he knew it. Why did he do it then? Why did he tell him this? Was it because perhaps he resented the true prophet of God coming from the southern kingdom to condemn them? Did he perhaps want to curry family favor with Jeroboam by, by providing a snare for this, this prophet who had come? Well, we can't be sure, but unfortunately, what we do know is that the man of God from Judah believed his lies. Why did he do that? Why did he believe his lies? Well, the man of God from Judah had initially been tempted And when he was tempted by the king and his call, come back with me to the palace, eat, drink, it'll be great. He had done what we should all do. He had gone back to the word of God. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil? He didn't answer, in my opinion, even though as the son of God, Christ's opinions are all correct. He answered, it is written. He went back time and time and time again to the book of Deuteronomy. He went back to scripture. He answered. He exercised what Paul would later compliment, or sorry, Luke would later compliment in Acts as the Berean spirit, which is searching the scriptures to see whether these things be true. What does that mean? That means comparing what is being said to what God has already said, laid down in his word. And if there is a difference between those things, if the new thing seems to contradict what God said before, then the new thing is wrong, okay? There's a general rule in scripture, summarized this way. If it's true, it isn't new. If it's new, it isn't true. All right, as a general rule, remember that. But now this prophet, this man of God from Judah, he's faced with fresh revelation. This man stands up to him and he says, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Unfortunately, he doesn't include that part in the parentheses we read at that point. I'm lying to you. He's lying to him. That's 1 Kings 13, 18. But what should he have done at that point? Well, first he should have remembered that God had spoken to him and given him very clear instructions. So when he received a message supposedly from an angel, not directly from God, from a messenger that contradicted that earlier instruction, he should have remembered, my God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't say one thing one day and then the next day say, oh, I've changed my mind. Do something different. Do something completely opposed to what I I told you before. We are reminded or, you know, unfortunately, he didn't have the advantage of having the New Testament. this, this, This man of God from Judah. But we're reminded of what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If somebody comes to you and declares a message, a gospel says, God wants you to believe this, and then they say something opposed to the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, 
let them be accursed. Anathema, cursed Maranatha till the return of Christ. Don't listen to it. He listens, unfortunately. He should have remained true to his original instructions. He should have remembered, he should have remembered that the northern kingdom was now full of lying prophets and false teachers. Packed to the brim. But he didn't. He went back with this man. And then the Lord spoke through the old lying prophet. And unfortunately, this time it's the truth. Because he had disobeyed God's instruction. He is never going to return to Judah. He is not going to be buried with his fathers. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Today, we, uh, we don't really care that much where we're buried or what people do with our body. We have a very, I hate to say it, a kind of a more Gnostic view of, you know, the, the body is the prison house of the soul, doesn't really matter. They had a very reverential view of the body. And they wanted to know where their relatives were. That's where grandma is, that's where grandpa is, that's where great grandpa is, and so on. They, they had family tombs. And they were looking forward to that day of the resurrection. They were looking for those self-same bodies that they had died with to be raised up, incorruptible. Christians, we used to do that. You, it's, you go to old cathedrals in Europe, places like St. Paul's, uh, Westminster Abbey. If you ever get a chance to go to uh, England, England is such a beautiful nation being ruined by the English. But uh, if you go to Westminster Abbey, go to the crypts, and you see the reverential awe that a nation can pour out on its heroes, particularly its Christian heroes. Wonderful epitaphs and, and, and figures of these, these great men and women who were laid to rest looking forward to the day of their resurrection. And so for the prophet to be told, you're not going to lie with your fathers, you're going to be buried in a foreign land, would have been something that pierced him to his heart. I mean, his, his blood must have run like ice when he heard those words and realized what had happened. Oh. If we are confused, though, as to why God would use a, a, a lying prophet to speak the truth at that point, uh, Phil Riken made a very good point. I was struck by it. He said this, we should remember that the word of God always comes through sinful men. Even the gospels were written by fallen disciples. The same thing happens every Sunday as God's true word is preached by sinful men to sinful people. That would be me and you. So... He goes on his way, and he must have known doom was upon him. A lion meets him along the way and kills him outright. Uh, incidentally, it seems odd to have a lion in ancient Israel. Actually, Israel was filled with lions until at least the 13th century. The Crusaders wrote about how uh, they used to stalk the pilgrim caravans and so on. Um, so it used to be filled with lions. Uh, but this lion comes out. And kills him. Now, does this mean, that's another question that's immediately raised. Does this mean that the man of God was damned? Did he lose his salvation because of his disobedience? I would say no. I don't believe so. We know that when someone is saved, when someone is given the spirit of God, when their sins are paid for, and looking forward, obviously, to the time of the coming of the Messiah, he would have put his confidence in the promises of God. When we are saved, that is something that cannot be taken away from us. God's uh, salvation is not something that he gives and takes away in the, same, uh, in the same person. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. However, we do know this. He was dishonored because of his disobedience. And he became an abiding testimony to what happens when even Christians, believers, turn away from the commandments of the Lord. His sin has terrible consequences, as we see. 
Now, God wanted everybody in the northern kingdom to know that his death wasn't the result of bad luck. So the lion does some miraculously odd things. After it kills him, normally after a lion kills something, it eats it. He doesn't eat it, okay? So he just stands there. He stands guard over the dead man's body, marking the spot. He also doesn't say, okay, I'm not allowed to eat the man. I'm going to eat the donkey. Uh, and the donkey doesn't run away either. So there's both of these animals standing stock still in the middle of the road, and there's the dead body. They're waiting, in essence, for the, the prophet to come and to get the body and bring it back. Now, the death is seen by, by many people who are, you know, they must have been very disturbed. You can imagine going around a lion and a donkey on the road. Like, dead body over here, but they do that. And word gets back to the old prophet. And he saddles his donkey once again, and he goes and he collects the body, and he buries it in his own tomb after quite this show of mourning. Alas, my brother, etc., and so on. And then he instructs his sons, bury me in the tomb wherein the man of God is buried. When I die, put me in the same place. Put my bones next to his bones. Why? The answer is actually given in the text. Because he knew that the man of God from Judah's prophecy would come to pass. And in 300 years, a king named Josiah would come and he would disinter all of the bodies of the false prophets and the priests and, and these evil kings and he would burn them on that same altar. And he said, I don't want my bones to be disinterred. Bury me with the true prophet over there. And he knew that as a result, he, his bones would not be burned on the altar by Josiah. All right, so, so much for that. That's the story. Why did these terrible events have to take place, though? Well, in them, there is actually quite a warning to the people of Judah and to us, if we'll listen to it. Um, Israel had refused to heed the warning of God. They don't even after this. One of the things that we need to remember is what Jesus said when he was giving the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He said that even if one rises from the dead, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe the miracle. They're not going to listen to that. Jesus went about doing great miracles. And yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees, no, they're not going to believe because their hearts were hardened. In this particular case, we have two miracles done in the same moment. Altar splits apart, king's hand is withered and then restored. And yet they don't believe. It's like when Moses went to Pharaoh. And again and again, the plagues fell upon them. And then when he interceded, the plagues went away. And yet Pharaoh, every single time his heart hardened. Jeroboam, his heart is hard. And it just becomes harder. He will not turn from his evil way. He will not get rid of his high priests. He will not get, away, uh, get uh, rid of his high places. And he continues in this evil way. And so the Lord says, you're going to be cut off. I don't care how politically successful you are. I don't care how economically enriched you are. I don't care what other allegiances you have. You are going to be destroyed because you have turned against me. I offered you mercy. I sent my prophet. And when a prophet comes, even condemning, note this, every single time in Scripture, when the prophet comes, in one hand he has the curses, in the other hand he has the blessings. And God essentially says to this people, particularly this covenant people of his, Choose life. I set before you this day death and life. Therefore, choose life. Now, do you realize that is what happens every single time the gospel is preached? God comes to you and he says, I set before you truly 
death and life. Choose life. And if, like Jeroboam, you say, no, I'm going to continue on in my way of worship. I'm going to continue to be, as, as Elder King put it, the self-proclaimed N-O-N-E, none. What's your, wor- what's your religion? None. I tick the none box. No. You're either with God or you're against him. There is no spiritual Switzerland. I'm a neutral party. No, you're not. You're a creature created by a loving God to worship him. If you say no, you're a rebel and an enemy. That's the only place for you. And therefore, you are headed for judgment. And you're choosing that judgment. You're saying, I'll take the death hand. Which is foolish. But so many do it. Jeroboam did it. So... The two prophets represent the history of these two powers. The man of God comes from Judah. He rebukes Jeroboam, the king of Israel. And yet at the same time, he is not entirely faithful to the word. And we're going to see that in the two kingdoms. Israel, never faithful at all. Judah, sometimes faithful, but often following the example. Often enticed by the false worship of the northern tribes and the surrounding Canaanite nations. It's a story of of people who should be cleaving to the word of God. There's one group that never does, and then one group that sometimes does, but that's not good enough, brothers and sisters. Neither of them are getting it right, and neither of them are going to be saved by their own works. Judah has not entirely embraced the false religion, but they listen too much to the false prophets. They listen too much to to pagan syncretism and all the things that creep in. Later, Jeremiah will come to a Judah that's been steeped in false religion, false prophecies, and and so on. And in Jeremiah 6.16, he will say, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And that's another one of those verses where if it cut off there, we'd be like, yay, that's beautiful. But unfortunately, it goes on. What does it say? But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I said a watchman over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. He comes and he delivers life, or rather life and death. And they choose death. Now, here is the hard application. So much for Judah and the mistakes that they made. There's a warning to you and I also about what's going on in our own time. Because you see how we have God's word delivered, true revelation. And then we have the follow-up that contradicts it directly. Let me give you an example of God's true word delivered by his apostle that was supposed to be followed in the church until Jesus Christ returned, okay? Buckle your pew belt or whatever. (laughs) 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Well, what's one of the ways that they will do that? Earlier letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. 
this is a declaration. It's as absolutely ironclad as any other declaration in the word of God. But now we have hosts of teachers coming in and saying, no, 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 no. That was in the past. God has changed his opinion now. Whereas there were set roles for men and women in scripture throughout all time. Now in the 20th century, in the 21st century, it's all changed. God's very nature has changed. And he wants us to go directly against what we were doing before. Now, I give you that one example, but I could give you countless examples, especially in the field of, of, of morality, sexual morality. So what are some of the rules that we need to remember? Well, we need to remember this. How do we judge a false prophet? The first thing that allows us to know that something that is said is coming from a false prophet is that it's coming from somebody who is disgusting. They're dirty. They're, they come in snively. You know, they're like a grimer worm tongue. Don't listen to him, my king. You know? And they're obvious. They kind of bent over and they're like... <laughs> no! That would be wonderful if they came in with a sign saying, false prophet, false prophet. You know, He's a false prophet. How do you... Well, he looks like one, doesn't he? No. They have beautiful suits, giant arenas, great congregations, and so on. What do they do? They transform themselves into angels of light. So they look very good. So how do you judge them? You judge them by the message and the fruits. First, Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up, says Moses, from them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. This is speaking of Christ. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has spoken, has not spoken, rather? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. There's an entire movement within uh, the church, broadly speaking, evangelical church called the New Apostolic Reformation, the Word of Faith movement, filled with Latter-day Apostles who come about and they say, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and they'll make declarations. I declare that COVID is blown away. Does it happen? No. Is this man a true prophet of God? No. no. Should we listen to him? No. Should we give him money? No. Should we go to his church? No. And yet they do. Because this is really itchy. We listen to these false prophecies and we become more and more deceived. When they say something and it doesn't happen, and they've said, thus saith the Lord, and they've declared this is a word from him, and it's a lie, don't listen to them. And when your friends say, oh, you need to listen. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because he's a false prophet. Or she's a false prophet. I shouldn't listen to them and neither should you. You should compare what they say to scripture. That's the standard. Remember this. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And Jesus Christ said he's the same today. Uh, sorry, yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that. Brothers and sisters, it is the case that we should be holding fast to the old paths. Don't be gullible. Spurgeon 
was once confronted by a young man who came up to him and he said, Pastor Spurgeon, God told me today I'm to preach from your pulpit. Spurgeon replied to him, well, when he tells me, I'll let you. It's not the case that we should believe that when somebody says, thus saith the Lord to us, it is always a word from the Lord. Does it correspond with what he's already said? Does it come to pass? Does it bear good fruits? You should apply that and not listen to all of these modern day prophets. More than often than not, they're Joseph Smiths, who founded the Mormons, Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses, David Koresh, who led everybody off to a fiery death down in Waco. These men who declare these things that are not so, and they produce terrible fruit. Walk in the old paths. Listen to the word of God. Listen to those who, who declare the right things. I, I tell you the truth, on my tomb, I would love for it to be written and for it to be true. He taught nothing new. Simple word. I want to declare to you the plain things, the main things, the old paths and the truths. Walk in them. God has set before you this day death and life. Choose life. Let's go before him. God, our Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be deceived by the deceits of the devil. We know, Lord, that he loves to camouflage himself as an angel of light, to bank on popularity, to say the things that people long to hear, that their itching ears want to absorb. And then they go on believing them, even though they have been proven to be liars again and again. Oh, Lord, help us instead to listen to your word, to listen to true prophets, even if they be humble and lowly, Remind us that your son came not with great fanfare, giant arenas, big cars, Lear jets. He came as a humble servant, a man who was willing to wash his disciples' feet. And he put our needs far ahead of his own. Help us to follow that kind of servant leader who shows the spirit of Christ in everything that they do. And we pray this in Jesus' name.